All right. Uh, could we please stand? We're going to be in Romans chapter 7. I wrote Danny, uh, Pastor Danny, he goes, you're doing the whole chapter in one shot. And I go, chapter 7 of Romans is one long, miserable thought. The best thing about Romans 7 is it goes into Romans chapter 8, which is uh, totally different. But what I want you to do is please stand, and, and uh, I want to give you a device to help you think through Romans 7 and into Romans 8. So whenever someone asks me, how's it, some of you know what I'm going to say. Or they say, hey, how's it going, or whatever. I always like to make a fist, pat on my chest, and say, in the victory, as opposed to being in defeat. I want you to do this without hurting yourself. I have done it so hard before, I cracked my sternum, and that's why my V chest is not this way, it's this way. And, uh, but don't do it too hard, no accidents, no, nobody goes to the hospital, but I'm going to ask you, how's it? I was better than I thought I would be. All right, now please be seated. So there have been times to be truthful when, I'm sorry, when I, I say most of the time it's truthful. I really am in the victory. You know, I, I'm exposed to just as much temptation as anybody else, but hey, by God's grace, I know more victory than defeat, but there's other times to be fair, to be honest. I've said it. And I hear this little voice that says, you hypocrite, you're not in any more victory than then the guy on death row can be free to go shopping at Adam Wanna Shopping Center. Now it's just, sometimes it's just, you, you want to put on a front that you're really in the victory, but you're not. But Romans chapter 7, Paul the Apostle is writing this, and he's getting so in your face transparent that many Christians thought, He's not saved in Romans chapter 7. He gets saved in Romans chapter 8 because you can't struggle this much and be a Christian. But the truth be told, according to Romans, the book of Romans, the, the salvation takes place in chapter 5 verse 1 where he says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So salvation is there. But let's see what happens. Here's, here's, uh, it, it's been said that if you don't understand Romans chapter 7, you don't understand Christianity. If you're denying chapter 7, you're not living in reality. It's a 24-7 virus. It affects all of us. We make our promises promises. You ever done this? Lord, I learned my lesson. You ever done it? I will never, ever gossip again. I will never lie. I'll never stretch the truth again. You know what? Tomorrow morning, I'm going to wake up, I'm going to share with my neighbor. I, you watch me. I've learned my lesson. We make all these promises, and then in chapter 7, as soon as you promise them, you, you, you break them. It's called the Romans 7 syndrome, and you don't want to live there. When was the last time you could honestly pound on your chest and say, in the victory, meaning I am not living in defeat? So a review of Romans thus far. One through three, chapters one through three, we're all sinners. Matter of fact, chapter three, verse 23 says, listen, we've all sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. Meaning, the idea is not let's swim from Oahu to Japan. That would be too easy. The goal is not that. The goal is let's transform from us into the glory of God. It says we've tried. The, the sin there is, is trying but just falling short. It's impossible. We've all sinned. 
and fallen short of the glory of God. Then chapter 4 has this introduction to grace and grace that's, that's received through faith. And, and so in chapter 4, we, we, we read about grace and how a rapist who truly repents will be forgiven. You know, how can that be? A murderer who truly repents. Well, it's grace. It's not earned. It's received. Now, on the other side, a moral sinner will go to hell. Someone who says, well, I'm not that bad. I'm okay. Jesus didn't die for okay people. He died for sinners, according to Jesus. So, the, the bottom line, we go into Romans chapter 5, and now, don't, don't lose me here. It's justification by imputation. Now, impute means we're taking from the riches of Christ in his bank account, if you will, and it's imputed, it's transferred into your bank account. It's not money we're talking about, it's righteousness. It's forgiveness. So, and it's done, this is justification. It happens in a second. The moment you there, if you're on your deathbed, and you just pray, God, I'm so sorry. Jesus, come into my life. Forgive me of all my sins. Boom, justified. Now, we, we said it means it's, it's just as if I'd, so justified, never sinned, but it's plus the righteousness of Christ. Remember, we used this illustration. Here's a continuum. On one extreme of the continuum, I have my sin, and my sin brings the wrath of God and deposits me in hell. Yours does too. On the other end of the continuum, we have God's righteousness. Remember, holy, holy, holy God and heaven. But to say that justification is just as if I'd never sinned, that only brings me to zero. That doesn't get me into heaven. So justification is just as if I'd never sinned, plus given the righteousness of God. Remember, you're put on the royal robes of righteousness in, in Jesus Christ. Now, immediate benefits happen. The moment I get my surrender my life to Christ, the war has stopped. Remember in Romans 5, it says, Christ died for us while we're yet his enemies. There was a war going on, and he died for us. And so now the immediate benefit, no more war. There's peace with God, which enables me to have the peace of God. And you follow that long enough, you have the peace of mind. Isaiah promises I'll keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed upon me. So then I have also, there's saving grace is given to us in chapter 5, as well as sustaining grace. Saving grace, the moment I receive the Lord, boom, saved by the grace of God. But I find more Christians struggle with sustaining grace. What you need today, what you need to get free from whatever did or didn't happen this past week. What, the, the, the grace, to see yourself just as clean now by the same grace of God, the sustaining grace of God. We also read in Romans chapter 5, verse 3, that we glory in our tribulations. Now, if you were here when I was doing that, you remember I used the Olympics as an illustration. And I went, what if Car Carissa Moore gets the gold medal in surfing? Which she did just recently. She won the gold. Now, next time I see her, I want to see that puppy around her neck. I want to say, girls, show it off. I got gold. I'm glorying in my gold. And that's the same idea as you, me, glory in our tribulations. Anybody go, amen? 
It must be a different glory. No, it's the same idea because now we realize God's not mad at me. He's using this to conform me into the image of Christ. It's, it's not a waste of God's time. He's using this trial in my life, and so I can glory in the fact that he's making me more and more like Jesus Christ, his son. Then we get to chapter 6. So for the past two weeks while I was on the mainland with my family, first Pastor Danny, and then last week Fulton, one of our elders, shared on uh, two halves of Romans chapter 6. It's great doctrine. Remember, doctrine is a fancy term for teaching. So Romans chapter 6, oh, I get it. It's so clear. And, and so it's, it's the, the idea of justification of chapter 5, which happens instantly, now becomes sanctification, which is a process, which will last the rest of your life until you die and meet Jesus. So it's, it's, it's now it's, it's not instantaneous. This is the rest of my life. Oh, man, it's a process. So he talks about stuff like the significance of water baptism. So baptizo in the Greek, it's the idea of dyeing a garment. So what, what they would do is they take a white garment and they want to dye it purple. They would baptize it into the purple dye. It would go down one color, but then take on a new identity and come up a new color. He says that's what baptism is. You are dying with Christ, and you're coming up completely identifying only in Him. No other gods, no, no other, you know, laws. It's just me and Jesus. I went down a sinner. I come up in resurrection power. He also said, don't let sin reign in your body. Do something about it. Do something. It's like, remember the north and south pole of a magnet? You ever do this in school? You've got to piece of paper, and then you put a paper clip in the middle? Will it go to the north or the south pole? Where do you let it go? If you just tilt it a little bit, it goes right to that side. He goes, don't do that. Don't do that. Matter of fact, he says, present your bodies to, to be like a slave, if you will, of righteousness. In chapter 6, Romans used to be a slave of unrighteousness, of sin. Now present yourself as a slave of righteousness. How do I do that? Don't fast in front of an open refrigerator. Yes, I, that's my saying. I don't think anybody else ever said it. But how stupid to say, I'm on a fast. I just want to see what I'm going to be tempted by. And if my daughter's Dutch apple pie is in there, I am off the fast. And, and so he says, don't, don't let that. Don't present yourself. Don't fast in front of an open refrigerator. Here's the problem. Romans 6 Romans 7, it says, that looks great. It looks good on paper. You just can't do it. So what we're going to find in Romans chapter 7, this guy has I problems. More than 30 times he says, I, I, I tried to do this. I tried to stop that. Not one mention of the Holy Spirit in Romans chapter 7. You're on your own. Romans chapter 8 the difference the resurrection power of the Holy Spirit makes. It reminds me, this is a true story I read about a kid named Peter John. He's now old and he's a pastor. Most pastors are old. So he's uh, four years old. He's walking through the house and he's snapping his fingers. His dad goes, son, what are you doing? He goes, I'm practicing my snaps. Okay, why? He goes, well, I can now whistle. I'm practicing my snaps. And once I can tie my own shoes, all the hard stuff's done. Easy peasy, the rest of your life. 
you know what? That's kind of like Romans 6. Yeah, you got that. I memorized it. It's all, all the hard stuff's done. No, chapter 7 is where it gets challenging. We see the failure rate of going on your own. So here's a simple outline. Part one is I died and I can prove it. I love that. Part two, I was deceived by sin. Caught me off guard. I don't get it. Part three, I'm trying. And part four, who, not what, not how, but who will deliver me from this death? So if you're in Romans chapter one or chapter seven, I'm reading from the New King James. Verse one, do, do you not know brethren? For I speak to those of you who know the law. So he's speaking to Jews. You know how many, how many commandments? How many commandments? Give her a donut. 613. God was just warming up with the tent. Remember I said Google 613. And guess what? 613 commandments come up. So I, he said, I'm talking to you guys, the Jews who know the law. That the law has dominion over man as long as he lives. You're never going to get away from him. For the woman who has a husband is, is bound by law to her husband as long as he lives. But if the husband dies, she's released from the law of her husband. So then, if while her husband lives, she marries another man, she'll be called an adulteress. But if her husband dies... He's, she's free from that law, so she's no longer an adulteress, though she's married another man. So verse 4, therefore, my brethren, you also have become dead to the law. Wait, you died, not your spouse. You become dead uh, to the law <clears throat> uh, through the body of Christ, that you may be married to another, to him who ra was raised from the dead, that we should bear fruit to God. For when we are in the flesh, the sinful passions which were aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit to death. But now we've been delivered from the law and having died to that which we're held by so that we should serve in the newness of the spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. Sounds confusing? It's not. He's, he's using an illustration. So this is under, I, I died and I can prove it. He's saying, let's use the marriage illustration. But instead of, as the body of Christ, you know, the, we're the bride of Christ, instead of us being married to a person, he says, you're married to the law. And you know what? The law is perfect. 600, he even says later on in this chapter, I agree with the law. It's perfect. There's nothing wrong with it. I just can't live with it. And, and so he goes, okay, well, the, the law is not going to die. Matter of fact, Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, Heaven and earth is not going not, it's not going to pass away. Not one jot or tittle of the law will pass away until it's all fulfilled. That, in our language, it's not one dot of the I, not one cross of the T. It's, it's alive and well. So the husband, the law is not going to die. You die, and you go, what is, what is that? In Galatians, I think it, it helps to understand this. In Galatians 2.20, one of the first verses I ever memorized. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, in this body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and delivered himself up for me. So he's saying, guys, here's, a, here's another way to explain it. I died. 
I was crucified with Christ. Now I live to Christ. So the background of that verse is fascinating. It's Paul the apostle in public rebuking Peter the apostle. Peter was trying to live by both covenants, the old and the new. We'll get into this in a second. He said, as long as there are Gentiles around, he goes, okay, man, I got the liberty, you got the... Jews came in, and he would shy away from the... You ever, you ever see? It's so ugly when people do this to friends. Oh, he's here, she's, I'm going to shy away from you, I'm over here now. So Peter would leave the Gentiles and go join himself with the Jews, and Paul the apostle got in his face in front of everyone, what are you doing? I've been crucified with Christ. Why are you trying to go back and forth between these two covenants? So he's basically saying, Peter, you need to make a decision. Are you going to live in the new covenant or, or the old covenant? So he said, I, I'm dead and I can prove it. How, how, how can you prove you're in the new relationship? Because I have new offspring. He uses the term fruit. I used to have fruit as a result of my relationship to the law that ended in death. Now I have fruit or offspring as a result of the new covenant that ends in life. So that's why he said, I'm dead. I died and I can prove it. So Romans chapter 7, towards, in verse 6, it says this, in newness of spirit. Now we're getting a hint of the two different covenants. Newness of spirit, not the oldness of the law, the oldness of the letter of the law. So again, here's what we get into. There's two covenants. There's two ways you can try to approach God. I want to show you the difference. Okay, so here we have on one side the Old Covenant. Just think Old Testament, 613 laws. On the other side, we have the New Covenant, Jesus Christ. Remember, with this blood I make a new covenant. You're going to be forgiven. So the Old Covenant was written on tablets of stone. Yes, Moses went up the mount. God hand-chiseled the Ten Commandments on those two tablets. It wasn't inside me. It's out of me. It's something I need to bow to and just try and do my best. But it's on the outside. Started with 10, ended with 613. Obviously not on the same tablets, but in the Levitical law. So in the New Covenant, it's not written on tablets of stone. It's inside. So in our Ohana groups, right now we're going through the book of Hebrews, our home studies. And so in Hebrews chapter 8, it's going to tell us, look, the new covenant, it's written in our heart and our mind, meaning I know God, I know what he wants, and I want to do it. This is a whole new concept. It used to be I look at those, oh man, I can't keep those laws. It's so rigid. You know, I, I, I agree with them. I shouldn't murder. I shouldn't lie. I should worship God, but I, I can't do it all. And now he wrote it on the heart. That changes everything. So the old covenant was based on fear. New covenant's based on love. A new commandment I give to you, Jesus said, that you love one another the same way I have loved you. So he's loved me. So the old covenant says, literally here in Deuteronomy says, do this, do all 613 laws, and you'll live, you'll make it, you can approach God. You might as well say, good luck with that. The new covenant says, receive this. It doesn't say, do this. It says, receive what Christ has done for you. He fulfilled the law by him coming into your heart. It's fulfilled in your life through the righteousness of Christ. All right, 
let's get into the struggle is real. I was deceived by sin. So we pick it up in verse 7. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? I thought the law was good. Certainly not. On the contrary, I would not have come to know sin except through the law. For I wouldn't have known about covetousness unless the law had said, you shall not covet. It seems he's confessing here. Man, I coveted some people. I coveted their position in life, their possessions, their relationships. And I thought it was okay until I saw the law. And you go, you can't do that. Okay, now I know it's sin. But sin, verse 8, taking opportunity by the commandment, when it says, thou shalt not, oh, produced in me all manner of evil desire. We're going to come back to that in verse 8. Produced something. It, it backfired. It was supposed to be the way I could get to God, and instead it backfired. It produced in me all manner of evil desire, and included in that is sexual temptation. For apart from the law, sin was dead. I was alive once without the law. But when the commandment came, sin revived, and I died in the commandment, which was to bring life. I found to bring death. Again, it backfired. For sin, taking, taking occasion by the commandment, deceived me. It killed me. Therefore, the law is holy. The commandment is holy and just and good. So, yeah, no problem with the law. It's good. So I was deceived. So before, when you get justified, you're delivered from the penalty of sin. You don't have to face it. Christ faced the wrath of God on the cross in your stead. You're, you're, you're free from the penalty of sin. There might be consequences. But as far as the penalty going to hell, and that, you're free. Now we're we need to get free from the power of sin, that we don't have to bow to its every, every whim and, and command. Chapter 8, when we get glorified in heaven, we'll be delivered from the presence of sin. So now he's talking about delivered from the power of sin. Say I got a ticket for speeding, okay? I, it, worse things have happened. I got a ticket for speeding. This was, this was a long time ago. And you go, I want to find fault with the speed limit. You know, it shouldn't be 55, it should be 95. Or like in, in, in Germany, if you've ever been to the Autobahn, the Autobahn is crazy, there's no speed limit. And they all have these fancy Maseratis and BMWs and they're just, I, I'm not kidding, it just, I'm in my Peugeot. This is, what was that? It's just like, there's, so, there's no speed limit, so you can't break it. That's what he's saying. But now, here in America, we don't have an autobahn. We have 55, 65 on H3. And for the cop to pull me over and say, oh, I, I think it's a stupid law. No, eventually I realized the law is there for the benefit of everyone. We're trying to have less accidents and stuff. And so at that point, I realized the speed limit isn't the problem. The law isn't the problem. I'm the problem. The law is that it just reveals I'm, I keep breaking it. That's, that's what's going on here. So then he says, when that happens, this ugly stuff rises up in, in me. You know, like, I didn't know it was there. I could see it in you. I knew it was, you're disgusting. You're good, but I wasn't. I'm a good guy. And then you realize, 
oh my gosh, the closer I try to get to the Lord, the more this evil stuff comes up. You just, where did that come from? So then it's just like, um, here's this story, Pinocchio. My wife made me watch the 1940 movie Pinocchio flying back to Hawaii on Tuesday. She made me. Something like, if you ever want to be happily married, you're watching this movie. So uh, she said, it's all about Romans 7. I go, oh, okay. <laughs> but it is. If you're not familiar with the story of Pinocchio, it's Giuseppe. He's an Italian. He makes puppets with the strings and all. And so the puppet had a string. You pull the string and the arm goes up or the leg goes up. It's, it has to do what the string tells it to. And he makes with pine wood, he makes this beautiful little boy, and he calls him Pinocchio, but he, oh, I wish he was real. I wish he could love me. I wish he could be an object of my love. I just, I don't want a puppet. I want a real person. And so, of course, that night, when you wish upon a star, you know, Jimmy Cricket, Jiminy Cricket. So he wishes upon a star, and the blue fairy. Now, this is not gospel truth, okay? Don't, it's an illustration. Don't you think God said, I want real people that I can love. They'd love me back. And of course, so she comes, the, uh, the blue fairy comes and says, little boy made of pine, awake. The gift of life is thine. And uh, there's a third person who comes in, Jiminy Cricket, who steals the show. But she, he, he, so he wakes up. There's no more strings attached. And he starts singing a song that you don't want ringing in your head. You know, I got no strings. Whatever. So she tells him, listen, you need to choose between right and wrong. What's going on about you? Uh, you need to choose between right and wrong. He goes, how do I do that? Like he's just all things new. Like, well, your conscience will tell you. He says, what's that? What's a conscience? And that's when Jiminy Cricket steals the show, and he says, your conscience is that still small voice that people don't listen to. <laughs> and then he goes, that's, the tr that's just the, whole, the, the, the trouble with the whole world today. 1940, this guy's a prophet. This guy is laying it down, telling it like it is. got to listen to your conscience, or you're going to be tied up again. So Jiminy... Uh, he then says, listen, the world is full of temptation. Are you starting to feel like Pinocchio? The world's full of temptation. Temptation. They're the wrong things that seem right at the time. And of course, Pinocchio goes out with his newfound freedom, no strings, and makes colossal mistakes. He ends up again in bondage, first in a birdcage. Then he ends up on uh, Pleasure Island, and the animal nature in him comes out. He starts looking and sounding like a donkey. So here, how, how are we like Pinocchio? Well, in, in a sense, Jesus cut us free. Jesus said, no more strings attached. You're free. You're free to go. But the thing is, uh, we, we, we learn the hard way. We just go out and make all the mistakes. It's, it's like we're tying the strings again. We fall for those temptations that are... And it's like, is this sane madness where you're, okay, I'm going to tie my arm up to this. I'm going to tie my leg to that. And I'm going to be 
pulled up the string and I'll do whatever you say. And you go back, no, that's not what Jesus died for. He set you free. This temptation that keeps getting in the way and we keep tying ourselves back to the, to the, the puppet or to the, the strings, that's Romans 7. And you can say, God, I'll never do that again. But we, we end up doing it again. Now, in the 1980s, if you remember, if you were cool enough to live back then, you remember cocaine was taking over the world, especially the U.S. It was everywhere. President Ronald Reagan was in office at the time. His wife, Nancy Reagan, spearheaded a, a campaign to try and counter this new cocaine thing. Do you remember what it was? Just three words? Just say no. Just say no. Did you do it? You know, Nancy, I've always struggled with the word just. I've told you this before. My wife loves the word just. And we don't need marriage therapy, but the thing is, one day, it was 95 degree heat. I'm out in the sun pulling weeds and doing something that she, you know, some project she had. For, she's literally sitting next to me in the shade, sipping lemonade. Karen's always five projects ahead. Instead of going, good job, good job. I like how you pulled that weed. She's going, she just had an idea. Let's just raise the house and build a deck and build a, another layer underneath. Just, yeah, I've got a lunch break. I could do that. Just raise out. Now in Florida, when I was backslidden, people would say stuff like that. We had this term. Are you high on drugs? What do you mean? Just. And so here's Nancy. Just say no. I wish you were that easy. I wish you were that simple. Just say no. You don't understand. All my friends are saying, come on, sissy. Everybody's doing it. You live one time. Have some fun. You're way too uptight. And then here, just say no. I, yeah. Don't present myself. Don't let sin reign. But it's not that easy. So then we go into the I don't get it where we try, we're trying our best. So we pick it up in verse 13. Has that which is good become death to me? Certainly not. But sin, that it might appear sin, was producing death in me, though it was good. Uh, so that sin through the commandment might become, look at it, exceedingly sinful. It's not just a little kind of, it's exceedingly sinful. For we know that the law is spiritual. Here's where we're getting into the problem. Law is spiritual, but I'm carnal. I'm not so spiritual. I'm sold under sin. I, I have this taskmaster that tells me what to do. I'm a puppet on a string. For what I'm doing, I don't understand. What I will to do, that I don't practice. But what I hate, that I end up doing. If then I do what I will not to do, I agree with the law. It's good. Don't murder. No, don't lie. I agree. It's good. But now it's no longer I who do it, but sin who dwells in me. For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, nothing good dwells. Most Christians don't believe that. Nothing good dwells. For to will is present with me, but how to perform it, I don't know. I, I, don't, I don't get it. For the good that I will to do, I don't do. The evil, I promise never to do again, I, I practice it. Now, if I do what I will not to do, 
it's no longer I who do it, but sin dwells in me. Now, he's not shirking his responsibility. He's understanding it. He's not saying it's no longer I, so I don't have any problems. He goes, no, I, I got a major problem. So this part is I don't get it. He's saying the law is spiritual, but he goes, I'm carnal. Now, remember Jesus when he taught on the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. He was telling people it's a spiritual commandment. It's not just, now, thou shalt not murder. And you think, well, I never pulled the trigger. I never speared someone, so I'm not a murderer. He's basic in today's terminology. If you're following someone on the highway and they did something, you can say, you idiot, that's murder. He went on to say, you're guilty of hellfire. You could go to hell for that. Because the law is spiritual. It's so much deeper than don't murder, don't put someone in the grave. It's like there's something foul inside of this fallen man. There's something foul that wants to express itself with such grossness. And, and, and another one was shall not commit adultery. You go, wow, I'm, I'm married. I've never jumped in bed with another woman. It's so much more than that. Have you ever looked at someone and undressed them? You're guilty and going to hell because that law is spiritual. It's not just a physical act of doing it. He says, but I, I'm carnal. So he's referring, he wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, there's three kinds of people, and they're all found in churches. The first is the natural person. And the natural person doesn't know the Lord, hasn't surrendered. They might go to church but they're, they're unconverted, all right? Then there's the spiritual person, also goes to church, but they're converted. They have given their life to Jesus Christ. So what's a carnal person? Carnal person is one who claims to be spiritual, claims to have surrendered, to have been converted, but lives like they're unconverted, like they're babies. He actually says they're babes. They're just babies. And he says... The law is spiritual. It's the real deal. I feel like I'm trying and I'm not even saved. So the Lord knows I'm trying. So here he goes. Uh, he, again, he had the eye problems. He said, I know. Uh, he knows I'm trying. I promise I'll never do that again. Guys, you teenagers, please listen up. When you go, I, I learned my lesson. I'll never do it again. Chances are you might. You need to know about the grace of God that cleanses, that restores, and revives. And you just go, but no, God knows I'm trying. I promise I'll never do that again. I'm going to do that. You know what? I'm going to memorize 100 commandments tomorrow. I'm going to memorize the book of Genesis tomorrow. You're not. You might mean well, but you're not going to fulfill that. He had eye problems. So you count the eyes in chapter 7, 32. I, 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 I. No mention of the Holy Spirit. This is Pinocchio on his own, just going into the next temptation. That's why chapter 8 is so good. The introduction to the resurrection power of the Holy Spirit. So, he says, there's nothing good dwells in me. I said, most of us don't believe that. Here's the deal. It's what he's not saying. He's not saying that every single person here is the most evil person on the face of the earth. It's not that. He said, you know, I looked inside. <laughs> I know I have a problem. I tried to find the solution, and there's nothing there. I looked inside for help, for power, for resurrection. It's overcome this. It, it wasn't there. You, you know what I saw? I, I saw there's a war within. 
Now, he's getting in the next section, but he's saying, I looked inside. I saw evil. I saw unchristlikeness. I saw ugly stuff. And to realize, this is trying to help me against this temptation. There's nothing there. There's nothing that will help me. So then he goes, well, there's a war within. And we read our last section of Romans chapter 7. I find in a law, verse 23, 21, I find in a law that evil is present within me. The, the one who wills to do good, I'm trying to do good. For I delight in the law of God according to the inward man, meaning I, I agree we should not murder, we should love one another. But I see another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity of the law of sin, which is in my members. Don't change verse 24. Oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with the mind, I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. So he ends on this war within. But he, he says... Oh, wretched man that I am. Why, why would we change the words to amazing grace? There's a famous pastor, and ah, decades ago, he said, we're going to change. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me, taken right from Romans 7. He goes, oh, I think that's a bit too much for people. I don't want them to feel so bad. That's what the author wanted. He knew. Remember, he was a slave trader. He was this evil man who wrote Amazing Grace. He goes, no, I was a wretch. I mean, don't change the words, but they said, oh, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saves someone like me. Like, I might have my issues, but I'm okay. No, I'm a wretch. Don't, don't change it, is what he's saying. See, our God is holy, holy, holy. That's a major problem today. People have lessened the holiness of God and elevated the goodness of man. You can't do that. The people surrounding the throne in the book of Revelation are constantly going, holy, 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 as they behold God. Four living creatures. Holy, holy. We have lost that concept. In the Greek, when you say something three times, there's no greater emphasis. So don't change the words. We're wretch. Now, who will deliver me from this body of death? It's not what. And it's not how, it's a relationship. It's not this, do this four-step program. You know, have a rubber band on your wrist and snap it every time you get mad. You know, just come on. I mean, that's a what. I need a who. I need a, I need a relationship. And so here's what he's referring to in the Greek. In that time, if you killed somebody, they could strap the corpse of that person onto your back. And you couldn't get it away. And eventually, the decaying body, the disease-infested body, would kill you as you're carrying it around. I've read that even the stench of that body would be enough to kill you eventually. And so here's Paul. He's going, I'm a wretch. Did you see me? I got this dead body I'm carrying around. I can't get rid of it. I tried it all. It's nothing's working. Who will, will do, deliver me? He says, oh, this is the cry of a wounded soldier on the battlefield. 
What does a wounded soldier say? Medic! Medic! I'm desperate. I'm dying. I'm bleeding out. I need help. Is there someone out there? So he's saying, Medic! Who? Who? Who's out there? That's when he says, I've tried to do, I promise I learned my lesson. I've tried to do the rubber band snap on the, I tried to do the four point program. It's not working. Who? That's when he says, I thank God for Jesus Christ. Changed it all. Set this Pinocchio free for good. Now, we started with it's been said, if you don't understand Romans chapter 7, you don't understand Christianity. If you pretend like you don't know about it, I don't know if you're getting any closer to Christ because the rest of us are really struggling. And I, I assume that for, for many of you here, you had a victorious week. You didn't shoot heroin. You didn't rob banks. You didn't cuss. You didn't spit on the sidewalk. You had a very, but then there's the rest of us that struggle. Even I've been victorious. I've struggled. And you go, I promised you last week I'd never do that again. I, just, I told you, I learned my lesson. I'm a dumb sheep that follows the other sheep off the cliff. Who, who is going to deliver me? When's the last time you could pound on your chest and honestly say, I'm in the victory? If it is, it's because you can say, I thank God for Jesus. I thank God for Jesus. Now, let me end with this. I, I think there's folks here who probably relate to something in there, whether it's being victorious, whether it's making promises, maybe you're the Pinocchio tying your strings back up, make me a puppet, not a free man. But every one of us needs to be able to say, thank God for Jesus Christ, who today, now, wants to say, I'll cut those strings. You know a lot about the law and failure. Let me show you about grace, forgiveness, cleansing, restoration, revival, new life, eternity in heaven. Sounds like a good deal. You know, it's interesting on our vacation, I like doing these random acts of kindness, okay? Uh, what I do, I make cutting boards. I, this is not a big secret anymore. I make cutting boards, wrap them up, share my testimony and how to know the Lord. Uh, and I just leave it for people, you know? Just uh, often my wife and I, we'll carry it with us. And we'll go, oh, this guy gets one. So twice on this trip, uh, after they read it, they go um, two different people in two different times and locations. Okay, you shared your testimony and how you ended up in jail, even though you're a Christian, and you went through a year and three months of condemnation, and you didn't know if you were saved, and your worship leaders. How did you do it? How did you get from the condemnation to being set free. And uh, I have the privilege to be able to say 
Because I lived it. I didn't read about that. I lived it. For a year and three months, I was up in front leading worship, watching all you guys as the holiest, raising hands, figured you memorized the Greek New Testament, and I'm here struggling. Am I forgiven? Am I going to heaven? And so uh, one guy said, how, how did that happen in your life? What, what was the change? I said, I used to think I was a paper cup Christian. Paper cup, you use once, smash it, toss it. And I felt because of my lifestyle, because of what I had done wrong, it's as if God said, I'm crushing you, I'm tossing you. You'll get into heaven, but you're in the back. Then I found out, God says, no, I use coffee mug Christians. Coffee mug, you use it, you wash it out, you use it again. Wash it out, and that's what God has done in my life the last 47 years. He has been faithful. He has been good. We talked about, are you a, coffee, a, a paper cup Christian, coffee mug Christian? If you were to be defined, are you a spiritual person who knows the Lord, a natural person who doesn't, or a carnal Carnal person is super confusing to me. I, I'm serious. I, I want to tell them, please don't tell me when you're a Christian because you're confusing. You're living in sin. You're, you're practicing this. The unbeliever looks at you and goes, why do I need Jesus? He's not doing anything for you. The unbeliever's living better. This morning, everyone in here is either the spiritual person who has truly surrendered to Christ, that natural person who hasn't, or the carnal, the Pinocchio, who's just getting into one thing after another, tying the, the strings back. Puppet, you're in control. Or puppet master, you're in control. I want to close in prayer. And the, the worship team can come back up. But I'm going to pray for something that only God can do. You know, this is not some tricky way to get a response. Let's pray. Father, if we go to heaven today, I'm, I'm, I'm down. I'm ready. I'm forgiven, converted, walking with you. And I sense most everyone here is the same. I, I pray for the, the carnal people here who are like the Pinocchio Christian facing temptation on their own, and just getting tied up again to the world. Lord, I pray for a true 100% surrender conversion. If we're on a stagecoach, we give you the, the reins. You're in control. And finally, I pray for those who, the natural people that have never really converted, never surrendered, never had that moment in time where they say, not my will, but thy will be done. Lord, Lord Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross for me. Please come into my heart and forgive me and hold me by the hand and, and lead me through life. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.